What do you think of when you think of miracles? Most usually think of something spectacular or supernatural. However, many never stop to realize that the God of the supernatural is also the God of the natural, and he has hidden his greatest gift in the most ordinary of places, in the ground. The unstoppable power of the seed is God's greatest miracle and the foundation of his work in our lives. Growing up in a Christian home, I learned how to hear God's voice, read the Bible, the importance of tithing, and how to love others. Despite this foundation, I began a lifelong struggle with anxiety, depression, and OCD beginning in middle school, a struggle I'd ask God to take from me often. I was ashamed. I thought I shouldn't have these struggles being a Christian. But even early on, God reminded me of Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and to bring the what-ifs to Him. I've always held on to this promise that He would give me His peace. In 2016, my husband and I felt led to be a part of Vintage. We moved to Texas and started serving the church. Despite my fears and insecurities, God helped me grow past them through leading worship. Eventually, Kyle and I had the opportunity to join the staff team, and over the last six years, God has planted us in spiritual family. But due to my own insecurities and anxieties, I always gave more than I allowed myself to receive from others. After our first son was born, in 2017, I experienced postpartum depression. I went to counseling, had my meds checked, and my mental health seemed to be back on track. When our second son was born in May 2021, I experienced postpartum depression again. Instead of getting back into counseling or asking for help from my husband or my spiritual family, I put pressure on myself to be perfect and pushed through it alone. I tried to keep this up, but for after six months, my mental health fell apart. I was anxious, having suicidal thoughts and hearing audible voices telling me to kill myself. I would cry out to God, but He'd say to me that my time on earth wasn't over. My husband brought me to the ER and checked me into a behavioral health facility. I was completely detached from reality as I'd gone into a manic state and psychosis. I was so lost in my mind that I didn't recognize my sons or my husband. My delusions lasted days and weeks at a time where I was overloaded with paranoia and anxiety. My reality was shattered and I couldn't trust anything, especially in my own mind. I was scared and confused. After being in the facility for almost two months, I slowly came out of my psychosis but I was shaken by the whole experience. It caused me to lose my confidence in being able to hear God's voice because I felt like I couldn't trust my own mind. I was also angry with God for everything that had happened. He promised me peace and yet I couldn't find it. I lost two months of time with my sons and still had anxiety and depression. I couldn't understand why God couldn't just fix me. When I got home, I learned my family, both physical and spiritual, had stepped in and taken care of everything. While I was gone, numerous people came by often to cook meals, play with the kids, clean the house. 
My husband had men in his life to support him and keep him strong for his family. My sons were healthy and excited to see me. I was welcomed back with none of the guilt or judgments that I thought I had deserved. I came back to a healthy home that helped me heal. As the year went on, I leaned into the church and allowed those close to me to help me. I have people in my life to remind me of God's promise and help me walk in it. If God had healed me in the moment, I would have missed out on the process He was taking me through. A process that forced me to allow spiritual family to care for me as much as I care for them. A year later, I'm stronger than before. I still have struggles, but I now have a deeper trust in God and a greater realization of the power of spiritual family that He has placed me in. Okay, so you're gonna have to bear with me a little bit. I didn't even have a voice yesterday, and I was getting nervous about whether or not I'd be able to come up here this morning. But God is faithful, so He gave me just enough. So, but if you wonder why I'm kind of cutting in and out, that's why. Um, but I want us to take a moment. I'm, that story, just hearing Rebecca share that, and knowing. Um, how many people actually battle and wrestle with mental health and anxiety and depression, the things that she was talking about. I uh, was watching actually a documentary this weekend um, without even remembering that Rebecca's story was the one that we were sharing this morning. And, and the documentary was about uh, this famous lady that had battled a lot of the same things. And what was interesting to me is that at the end of it, she was uh, doing kind of this interview with her doctor, her mental health doctor, who was talking with her about, you know, ways to help people overcome this. And I caught something that he said kind of quickly, but he mentioned that a lot of times people that are, are struggling with this, or struggling with depression, loneliness, um, it's because they really lack true connection with other people in their life, and certainly a deeper connection. And he said one of the greatest ways that, that he can help people get an established connection in their life is through serving. And I thought, how powerful. You know, Jesus knew this all along. He's the one that said, you know, he didn't come to be served but to serve. And he knew that the, the greatest way for us to have true connection with each other is to serve one another. And before you, you know, think this is just some way for me to spin a message into getting more people to serve, that's not what I'm saying this for. But what I'm saying is, it is true you know, if, you, if you're battling with this, if you're battling with loneliness, battling with depression or anxiety, any of those things, I want to encourage you to just begin to serve. Begin to just say, hey, recognize a need in somebody else and, and see what you can do to, to help alleviate that need. Um, and if that means serving here at the church, awesome. We'll take any help we can get, you know, anyone that wants to serve. Um, but even if that's just starting in your home and just serving the people in your family, you know, in a greater way. Just, I want to encourage you to do that so that you can really experience that true connection and, and, and overcome that. And obviously, Jesus can help you overcome anything. But one of the ways that he does it is through helping us, uh, leading us into serving others. So that's not what we're talking about this morning, but 
I did think it was important enough, and I just wanted to make sure that we took a moment in case there is someone in the room this morning that, that is battling with that. I want to be able to help you. Um, but for those of you that are new, if this is your first time at Vintage, welcome. My name is Keegan. I am one of the pastors here. And we have been a part, uh, been walking through a six-week series, uh, or really a journey of faith uh, that's growing us, stretching us to have greater faith in God, to, um, to also put our trust in Him even more. And, and also there's a component of it that is uh, a campaign that we launched that we're going to be expanding our facilities uh, here in Belton, uh, Harker Heights, and then as well in Liberty Hill, uh, whether that's getting land or getting a new facility for them. Um, and so this journey has been great. It's been exciting to see people saying, yes, I want to be a part of what God has in store for the next three years and beyond through Vintage Church. How many of you would say that your life has been altered in a good way by being a part of this church? Hopefully everybody can say that. And so we just want to do more of that, right? We've been talking about through this whole series, there is more. God has infinitely more available to us. And so we're stepping out in faith as a church and, and making more room and space so that God can do more. And so last week we had Pledge Sunday where uh, people had been prayerfully uh, considering what they could commit to and what they could give towards this project. And so last week people came forward and brought their, their pledges forward. And I want to say, just to tell you, that we, uh, this is exciting, we had over 205 families uh, make a pledge and make a commitment, and we're at almost $2 million of the $3 million that we're, that we're needing for all these projects. So I want to say, well done. It's exciting for those of you that maybe still needed some more time, you're still like, you know, I feel like I want to give to this, but I haven't, you know, we haven't yet settled or decided on that. Uh, you can fill out a pledge card between now and the end of the year. That's totally fine. Um, you can also give online. And, uh, but today is uh, Miracle Offering Sunday where we asked you to bring your first gift towards that pledge. And so for those of you that, that were able to do that today, I just want to say thank you. Uh, really from the bottom of my heart, bottom of Pastor Stephen's heart, and I know the bottom of Pastor Nathan's heart, it is, there's nothing more exciting to be a pastor of a church um, with people that just want to say yes to God. Like whatever the vision is that God's showing us, we want to see more lives change. We want to have greater impact in the city. You know, to have a spiritual family that says, yes, we want to be a part of that, there's just not much more rewarding than that. And so thank you for all of you that are uh, coming alongside us in that journey. Um, our key verse for this series has been Ephesians 3 verse 20. It says, now to the one who can do infinitely more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is working among us. Say, working among us. Oh, come on, somebody's in here. Say, working among us. His power is working among us. I got to wake y'all up a little bit. Uh, God has infinitely more, but we know that what God makes available to us and what we receive and, and say yes to and actually experience is dependent on us doing our part, right? God wants us to be a part of this process. So God has infinitely more available to us, but he's going to ask us and he does ask us to do our part. So this morning, we're going to talk about God's economy. How do we get to infinitely more? Well, it comes through us understanding and living out this principle of reaping and sowing, or sowing and reaping. You got to sow first, then you reap. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, Genesis 8.22 says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, I think we're getting some of that winter upon us, day and night will never cease. See, Jesus was, uh, he knows in, in talking in the context of agriculture, 
as which is how he explained a lot of things to uh, the first century church, because a lot of them were familiar with agriculture. And so they understood, if you want to have a harvest, you got to first sow a seed. And so Jesus was teaching on this. And how many of you have heard a message before about sowing and reaping? You can raise your hand. You've been in church long enough. And what is the conversation usually about? Or what is the topic really about? Finances, money, right? As it should be, because it's true. The principle is true in our finances. But I want to I broaden your horizon, if you will, to understand that there, sowing and reaping is a, a part of all of our life. For example, if you want to see a marriage fall apart, well, stop sowing into that marriage. And what will happen? It'll start to fall apart, right? Any relationship that we have, if we stop putting time in, if we stop sowing into that relationship, how many know it's going to fizzle, right? Relationships, they go one of two ways. They're either growing or they're dying. That's how it works, you know? And so as we're, if we're sowing life into our relationships, then guess what? They're going to continue to grow. They're going to continue to thrive. Same with our jobs. If you want to see more from your job, you want to see a greater harvest in your work, what do you got to do? You got to put the time in, right? You got to get better. You know, you may have a particular gifting or talent or calling. How many of you know that's great, but if you don't do anything with it, if you don't sow into that, you don't take classes to learn, to develop that, you don't practice, uh, how many of you know you're not going to get better, right? You're not going to have a greater harvest. And so this principle is so key to the Christian life that... We just have to understand it. We're going to talk, uh, I'm going to read a little bit in Matthew 13, where Jesus was explaining this to the crowd. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about the crowd. Because every crowd, right, that you get into, there's always three kinds of people. Look at your neighbor and say, you're one of these three kinds of people. Like, man, they're going to label me at church. Yes, we are. Well, you can label yourself, actually. You'll, You'll know where you're at. But there's always three types of people in every crowd, and Jesus knew this. And so the first person that you come across in the crowd are the ones that don't care. Come on, have you ever been in a crowd and you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Somebody drugged me here. You know, I really don't care what happens. I'm just trying to get through this and get back to my life, you know. You ever been there? And so there's people in the crowd, even in church, that maybe you're at that place where you're like, I just came because this person's been nagging me, and I just thought I'd show up and finally shut them up. And maybe they'll leave me alone now until after Christmas. They probably won't, but it's a good, good try. But you really don't care why, why you're there. You're just there, right? You may have ended up there um, out of a reason that, that you didn't come up with. Uh, but then there's those that are there who are religious or cynical. So you might be in the crowd, and particularly when we're talking about, you know, our spiritual family and coming to church, there's a lot of people who are cynical, Right? This is like the Pharisees. You know, have you ever been around those people that um, they, they have an opinion about everything, about how everything should be or how it could be better or I would do it this way? Or Can I tell you, first of all, these people in the crowd, the ones that complain are almost never the ones that contribute. Right? They just stand on the side and, you know, toss in their, their, their two cents, which is really like $5 worth of stuff. But they're not actually the ones helping, you know, move any, any weight around. Uh, don't listen to those people. I can tell you, I don't listen to those people. If you come to me and you want to complain about Vintage Church, or you want to complain about people in our church, and I know you're not somebody who's a part and like contributing, I'm just going to, can I just be real and tell you I'm not going to really listen to you? Fair enough? You know, like, because it's not worth much. 
until you're saying, no, I care enough to be a part, that's when you get to have a voice of bringing up suggestions and, and having, you know, comments. But if you're just going to sit back and complain while other people, you know, do, you know, we're just, I'm, I'm not that guy. So I'll move on. Uh, and then there's those that want to follow. This is the group of people you want to, this is the kind of person you want to be in the crowd. You want to be the kind that says, I'm here because I actually care. Because I, it actually matters to me that I get to, to meet with my other brothers and sisters in Christ. It matters to me that I get to come and make a difference in someone's life. And that I get to grow and, and learn how to get stronger in my walk with Christ. How to grow in my faith. How to, how to be more like Christ. That's, that's the goal, right? How many of you would say that you want to follow Christ? That's why you're showing up. That's great. That's why our church is the way it is. Because I know, I know so many of you... You come each and every week because you care, because you want to make a difference, and you know that God is doing something in you as you are also helping God do something in others. And so Jesus knew that there was always these three types of people in every crowd. And so in this story, there's a large crowd that's gathering. He's actually got to get on a boat and come out to see a little bit just so he can speak and be able to, uh, for all of them to hear. But Jesus loves the crowd, even the ones that are, that are coming to church that are like, I don't even want to be here. I'm just here because grandma called me over here. Listen, that's okay. If that's where you start, that's where you start. At least you came. At least you showed up. And Jesus, how many times do we see Jesus over and over? It says he was moved with compassion. For the, Jesus loves you right where you're at. Even if you haven't made the decision to be a disciple yet, Jesus still loves you. And here's the crazy thing. You may not believe it, but he actually loves you just as much as the one who's already made the decision to commit their life to him. Isn't that crazy? Like, Jesus doesn't love you more when you follow him than he already loves you when you're not following. My Bible says that while we were dead in our sins is when he chose to die for us, right? Jesus is never going to love you more than he loves you right now, regardless of where you are in your relationship with him. It's powerful. So here in Matthew 13, 18 through 23... Or 18 and verse 23, it says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Because he had just shared this parable, but now the disciples are like, I don't fully understand it. And so he's explaining. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. See, Jesus took the time to explain the parable because he wanted the disciples to understand it. Come on, it's a good thing. It, to have knowledge without understanding doesn't really do us much good, right? And so Jesus is explaining that it has to fall on good soil, meaning you've got to be in a place where you receive it. You've you got to say, okay, God, I'm ready for whatever it is you want to speak to me, whatever it is you want to teach me, however it is you want to speak into my life today, I'm saying yes, I'm ready for it. And come on, you can't catch a ball that's thrown to you if you're not ready to receive it, right? And so that's what he's explaining. And, yet, and he shares that... To those who do receive it, guess what? It's guaranteed to produce a harvest. God's word, the Bible says, will never return to him void. If God speaks something to you and you catch it, you're going to see a harvest. It's just how it works. When farmers, you know, plant their crops and do everything they're supposed to do and, and nothing catastrophic gets in the way or happens, what do they have months later? A harvest. 
which is great. So then all of us can eat. <laughs> and it's the same way. So this principle, it affects every area of our life. And I want to take a moment before we get into the process of sowing and reaping, because that's what we're going to dive into here in a moment. But I do want to take a moment. Pastor Stephen was thinking through, like, how can we really express our gratitude as leaders um, to our church for, for even sowing into this, this expansion project and being a part of this? And I love that he said, you know, there's really no better words than what Paul shared uh, to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 15. So I want to read through this. Um, it's going to take a moment, but just bear with me. It says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year in Achaia, uh, we're ready to give and your enthusiasm was stir, uh, stirred them most to action. Uh, but I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be... Um, Ready, as I said you would be, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Oh, they were making a pledge in the Corinthian church. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, say loves, a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. How many of you know your generosity causes people to thank God? It's powerful. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift." powerful passage of scripture. Your generosity, our generosity as a spiritual family will lead others to praise God. It'll lead them to God. They'll say, you know what? Because of what you sowed, my life has been changed. Just like all of ours have in this room. At some point, somebody sowed into our life you know, so that a church could exist, so that a building could be present, so that we could walk into it and we could encounter God. It's powerful. And so today, we're going to get into sowing and reaping, because this is the greatest way that we step into infinitely more. Galatians 6 and 7 says this, don't be misled, you cannot mock the justice of God, you will always harvest what you plant. Come on, that's good news. It's sowing into God's kingdom, sowing where God tells you to sow, is always going to result in a harvest, right? God doesn't have any crop failure. Come on, farmers sometimes experience crop failure, but God, 
God himself does not have crop failure. So if you're doing the things that God has asked you to do and you're sowing into other people, guess what? You're going to reap. You're going to reap a harvest on that. You can take it to the bank. That's just how it works. And so you'll hear people say, your future isn't determined by your past. That's true, but your past does determine your present. I heard a wise uh, pastor say one time that your best decisions have gotten you to where you're at today, right? It doesn't mean that you can't have better in the future, but decisions that you've made last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, all those decisions have led you to where you are today. So if you look around and you're like, man, I was hoping for a, for a better harvest by now. Well, how much seed have you been sowing? And I'm, again, I'm talking about every aspect of your life. If you thought you'd have a, a better family dynamic or better relationship with your kids or with your spouse or, or with your friends or, or whatever, you got to ask yourself, how have I been sowing into it? Because there's no point in expecting a harvest on something we haven't put a seed in the ground for, right? Things don't just magically happen that way. We get the harvest based off of what we're, what we're sowing. And so this first process, first step in this process of sowing the seed is that we sow the seed that we receive. We talked a few weeks back about stewardship. Everything that we have comes from God, even the seed that we, that we sow. You know, I can't just manufacture a, a piece of barley or wheat or, you know, I can't create that. God created everything. And God's the one that gives us seed to be able to sow. So some of you, you might be sitting here this morning, you're like, I don't have a lot of seed to sow, right? But what can you do about it? You can ask. You can ask God to give you seed. If you want to be a more generous person, and, I'm, and I am talking finances for a moment, if you want to have more money to be able to bless other people and to be able to meet needs of other people, start asking God for more seed. Say, God, give me a raise at work so that I have even more to give. Now, Getting the raise at work isn't going to make you a generous person. You've got to be a generous person before you get the raise at work, right? If you're not already generous with even the little that you have, then why would God give you more? But if you are generous, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, give me some more money to be generous with, right? So I can buy those single moms groceries when they need it or, you know, help my friends out with this or that. Like, you should have that desire in your heart. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to give you more so you can give more. And so we sow the seed that we receive. The next thing is we sow seed generously. We just read that if you, re if you sow sparingly, you'll reap what? Oh, y'all got to wake up this morning. Sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap what? And who thinks sparingly or, or generously is better than sparingly? Right? I'd rather have generously than sparingly. So what do I have to do? I have to sow generously, you know, and this is even those little things, like I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, maybe that's, you know, buying somebody's lunch one day, you know, maybe it's buying their coffee, you know, how many of you come on a Sunday morning and thinking, you know what, when I go to the energy bar, I'm not just going to buy my own coffee, I'm going to buy somebody else's today. It's a little thing, but you know what that tells me? It tells me you're a generous person. You have a generous heart. You, you came thinking, you know what? How can I not only get my own coffee, but how can I bless somebody else and just buy somebody else's coffee? I mean, we ought to, we could even do like a 
thing at the energy bar where people can just come and say, Harry, here's money that I'm going to leave here for the next person that comes or whatever. And just, it's awesome. Anybody ever had that done to you? It's powerful. Gone through, you know, somebody just, oh yeah, your meal got paid for today. What? If I'd have known that, I would have ordered. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we've all, if you've been the recipient of that, you know what that feels like. It's like, I want to go find whoever did that and like tell them how thankful I am. Like, that's it's amazing. Um, but we got to sow generously. And I want to make a distinction on this because sowing and reaping is not the same as like karma or this whole yin and yang thing. We're like, karma is based off of like, well, you did this, so you deserve to get this. Can I tell you, sowing and reaping is not about what you deserve. It's not. I mean, us as believers, we already understand God's already given us way more uh, than what we actually deserve, right? I had a great preacher tell me, and I've remembered this my whole life. He said, grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It's not about what we deserve, because if that was the case, how many know (laughs) we deserve hell, Right? We don't deserve all the blessings that God has given us. But thankfully, his, his sowing and reaping isn't based on that. It's based on his love and his character and who he is. So I just want to make sure we understand that distinction. And lastly, we sow with gratitude. This isn't a complex message this morning. But if you'll understand this and you'll apply this to your life, it'll change everything. If you become someone who's who's spending your time and spending your days sowing and pouring into others, you're going to start seeing a harvest like you've never experienced before. Start sowing into that job. Go above and beyond. I mean, do you think Jesus would do the bare minimum at his job? No. And if we're supposed to be like Jesus, what does that mean for us? Can we do the bare minimum and be Christ-like? No. We've got to go above and beyond, just like he did. And I'm telling you, unless you've got a really, really strange employer, I don't know any employer that's going to downgrade you for giving above and beyond. That's going to say, you know, you've just been doing extra, and I've really noticed, and I just think I need to pay you less. <laughs> I mean, first of all, if you find a boss like that, you need a, you need a bounce. But that's, even the world knows this. When they see people sewing. You know, you get an employer who's like, man, I just, you do so much for this company, man, that I just got to find new ways to, to say thank you. I just want to give you a bonus, or I just want to promote you, or both, or, because people understand that. Even the world understands this principle. But how do we start, how do we have gratitude? As a believer, it should be real easy. It should start with the simple fact that we know God saved us. knowing that we were destined for hell and God said I'm going to give you a way out I'm going to send my son he's going to take your place and if you'll receive him and receive what he's done and his payment for your sin you'll be saved and you won't have to pay that penalty that should be enough for us to be grateful And to want to give back to God, the one who's already given us everything. You know, we're coming up into 
Thanksgiving and I'm excited about Christmas. I love that. Every time I hear that music from that tis the season bumper, I get in a good mood. But gratitude is so huge. Even in our worship, that's why the Bible says that you enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. The fastest way to get to God is through thankfulness. Can I just tell you? You want to experience God's presence in your life? Begin to tell him how thankful you are for what he's given you. Express gratitude. You'll feel his presence. It's just like us. What do we want to do for people that show us gratitude? We just want to give them even more. And I'll say this as we're closing. Sowing these seeds doesn't have to be a huge thing. Start small. I said in the first service, you know, maybe you want to get your relationship with your kids stronger. Spend a little more time with them. Be intentional. You know, I could go home today and I could watch football. Or yesterday I could have just, you know, spent the whole day watching football or something. Because I wasn't feeling the best. But my daughter was like, hey, Dad, you want to you wanna play Mario Kart? I'm going to beat you. And I was like, yeah, I'll play Mario Kart with you. You're not going to beat me, but... And I didn't let her beat me either. I'm like, we don't hand out wins over here. You better earn them <laughs> so they mean something. But, you know, that, that hour with her, like, filled her whole tank up. You know, she was just... She knew that she mattered more than me just watching the game for that hour. And it's those little things. You just got to sow those seeds in your relationships, in your job. And if you do, I'm telling you, God will blow your mind with the harvest. Can you put that last slide up for me, Jonathan? These are just a few pictures that show lives of people that have walked through our doors in all our different locations and have been impacted. Their lives are different today because of what others have sown into this church and what so many of you who serve each and every week, what you sow into this church. You make a difference. And I'm excited because there is more coming. There's going to be so many more of these stories. So many more stories like Rebecca's and Tiffany's from last week and Ben's. That's why we went on this journey. And that's why we're going to continue to go on this journey together. As we wind down, I just want to, again, just say thank you to all of you that have already said yes to be a part of this. But I also want to give you an opportunity. Maybe, maybe you're like, yeah, I just got drug here today. I don't really know much about Jesus. You know, I want you to have an opportunity to, to know him because he loves you. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to keep my eyes open so I don't fall off this platform. But I want to be very serious. If you don't know Jesus, today's your day. You're on his mind. He's thinking about you. It's no coincidence that you're here this morning. 
He's ready to give you peace and joy. You'll never experience love like the love of Jesus. He's ready to tell you how much you mean to him, how worthy you are, how enough you are. And so I just want to take a moment. If, if you don't know God, you've never said, yeah, I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I want to give my life to him. I want you to raise your hand this morning if you're ready to do that. Or maybe you've known God, but you've kind of walked away and started living for yourself. And, and this morning you're saying, you know what? I need to give my life back to God. I want infinitely more in my life. And I know it, it all starts with giving my life to him. So if, that's, if you're in either one of those categories this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you for that hand. If y'all would just repeat after me, I'm going to say a simple prayer in just a moment. But I want to remind you, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth in just a moment, you can have the assurance that you are now saved. You are now a son or a daughter of the Most High, of King Jesus. Just repeat this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for this moment in time that I can give my life to you. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and that you're that Savior. You're the one who paid the price for my sin. You're the one who loved me enough, even in my worst, to still come and die in my place. I receive your gift of salvation. And I ask you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I choose you to follow you wholeheartedly from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.